Hey everyone, this episode of The Imperfect Game is brought to you by It's Just Soap. You know, many store-bought body washes and soap bars are made with harmful, toxic ingredients. Soap should be healthy for your body, leaving you feeling clean, hydrated, and moisturized. It's Just Soap is made with natural ingredients, giving you a luxurious lather for the best shower experience. Every shower should feel this good. If you'd like 15% off your first purchase, go to itsjustsoap.com. That's it's just and then S-O-P, leave off the A for additives, dot com. And use the code BAYSTATEGOLF for 15% off your first purchase. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're new here, please press or click that subscribe button on whatever podcatcher you use for your podcast pleasure. A rating and review would be swell too. You can find me in a few corners of the internet. I'm on Twitter at Boston Homer. And on Instagram, I am Baystate underscore golf. I write a couple times a week at BaystateGolf.com. I also started writing for Fansided. I will add that link in the in the show notes as well. And you can go. I've written a couple articles there. And I will also be writing at AmateurGolf.com. Especially this weekend, I will be at the U.S. Mid-Am in Nantucket um, covering that event and also caddying in it. So follow me on uh, Instagram for some photos and some coverage and also AmateurGolf.com. You can uh, read some of my stuff there too. And finally, I have a newsletter that I release every Friday. It has all my stuff in one place, some links, some things I just love from the week that I ate or drank or read or listened to. Um, So I would encourage you to sign up for that as well. The link to that is also in the show notes. So the Ryder Cup is upon us, and while there's so much content out there, it's overwhelming. I thought, why not just add to the pile of content? But I want to do something different, so I decided to do another player profile of a person who maybe not a lot of people know about from Ryder Cup history. So I did a little dive into the life of Boo Weekly, who played in one Ryder Cup in 2008, He didn't lose a match. He left an indelible mark on the event. And I wish there were just more players like Boo on tour and also playing in the Ryder Cup. Or maybe just playing in the Ryder Cup on the American side. I hope you enjoy this. It was fun to do. I put it together one earlier about Christy O'Connor Sr. Please go give that one a listen as well. And I hope everyone enjoys the Ryder Cup this weekend. I think the Americans are going to steamroll the Europeans. I'm not sure why. I just think the home course advantage has become too much of an advantage in this event. Um, But whenever you're listening to this, thanks for listening. Let's get to the story of Boo Weekly, who fights orangutans and blasts water at ammonia tanks. Type Boo Weekly 2008 Ryder Cup into your preferred search engine, and you'll no doubt be greeted by photos and videos of a 35-year-old man in a red shirt riding his driver like a bull off the first tee at Valhalla. Boo Weekly was, to steal a line from Happy Gilmore, doing the bull dance, feeling the flow. That 2008 Ryder Cup might have been the single most important victory for the United States in the event's history. After their 1999 Ryder Cup miracle, the U.S. had lost in 2002, 2004, 
and 2006. The last two losses were both 18.5 to 9.5 drubbings. From 1995 to 2006, the only U.S. victory was that 1999 comeback. Europe was absolutely dominant, mixing veterans with youth and exceptional leadership, tossing a massive chip on their shoulder, and the delight they took in kicking the Americans' ass, and the Europeans were basically unbeatable. This 2008 Ryder Cup was supposed to be another drubbing. The Euros were favored, and why shouldn't they be following the last three Ryder Cups? The USA team had six rookies, which is actually very similar to this 2021 roster. On the other hand, the Euros had Sergio, and Harrington, and Westwood, and Stenson, and Rose. Those guys were used to winning. There's a great story that Chandler Withington tells about Tiger Woods and Payne Stewart after the 1999 Ryder Cup win. Withington is the former head pro at Hazeltine and was involved in the planning and preparation for the 2016 Ryder Cup. The story goes that after the 99 victory, Tiger Woods went to bed at 10.30 and Payne Stewart had to pull him out to actually go and celebrate. Tiger said something along the lines of, we're going to win this thing every two years. Tiger never won another Ryder Cup as a player. Sometimes, in order to win as an underdog, you just can't give a damn about who your opponent is. Sometimes, you have to have come from a tough background, experience challenges, and develop a chip on your shoulder. In Joshua Metcalf's book, Chop Wood, Carry Water, there's a chapter about the rough side of the mountain. The idea being that challenges help us go further. As Metcalf describes in the book, dimples were added to golf balls after one man theorized that the scuffed-up golf balls traveled farther than the smooth ones. The scuffs and scratches of life help us fly farther. Boo Weekly had plenty of scuffs and scrapes before riding his driver off the first tee during his singles match on that Sunday in Valhalla. The Ryder Cup rookie brought a different kind of experience to the team, and one could argue he's the poster boy for the team chemistry that so many U.S. Ryder Cup fans believe is missing from most American teams that simply project of air of individuality. 12 players and 12 cabs, to steal a description popular in baseball and might have originated with the 1970s Yankees. In contrast, the Euros would pile their entire team into an Uber if they could. Thomas Brent Weekly was born in the Florida Panhandle in a town called Milton, Florida. The nickname Boo came from his love of the Yogi Bear cartoon and the sidekick Boo Boo. Milton, Florida isn't short on pro golfers. Bubba Watson and Heath Slocum also grew up in Milton, a small panhandle town delivering big golf dreams. Weekly is fearless, and I'm not talking about the kind of fearless that a golfer needs to hit a long iron to a tucked pin surrounded by water. I'm talking about fighting an orangutan at the county fair kind of fearless. Here's what Boo Weekly himself wrote in a Golf Digest piece about that night at the county fair. Quote, One Friday night when I was 16, a bunch of us went to the county fair. 
truck pulled in there, sort of away from the midway, and we watched a guy get out and put together a big cage he had in the bed of the truck. After he got the cage together, he put up a little table. Then he went to the cab of the truck and brings out an orangutan. He starts yelling, Five to win 50. Who can beat the orangutan? Pay $5 to try and get 50 if you can whip him. We'd never seen anything like that before. We decided that one of us had to try, and I drew the short straw. Five of us put up a buck each, and I gave the guy with the truck $5. Before helping me into the boxing gloves and headgear, he made me sign a waiver. Looking back, that was a bad sign. Weekly continues. I got in the ring. The orangutan didn't look like much. He came up about my chest, though his arms were as long as he was tall. When the match started, he didn't lift his arms. He kept them down at his side and used them to pivot and follow me as I circled him like Muhammad Ali. I just didn't see how I could miss. My strategy was to fake with my right hand, and when the orangutan tried to block the punch, I'd throw my left. Boo woke up in the back of his buddy's pickup truck with a new nickname, Glassy, due to his glass jaw. Following high school, Boo gave a college a try, playing on the team at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, but he just couldn't keep up with the work and decided to return home after one year. He got a job at a chemical plant as a hydroblaster. More fearlessness. Here's how Boo described this job. Quote, From 1994 to 97, just before I turned pro, I was a hydroblaster in a chemical plant. There were these huge tanks and the walls inside them would get caked with ammonia residue that had hardened. To get it off, we'd spray it with a hose that fired water so fast you wouldn't believe it. A nozzle in a car wash shoots water at about 80 PSI. This thing cranked a jet of water anywhere between 10,000 and 25,000 PSI. You could cut a big board in half with that water as easy as if you had a chainsaw, and of course, it could easily cut off a man's leg or arm. We wore big boots, Kevlar vests, and helmets to protect ourselves. It was hell hot down there, about 130 degrees. Two guys would go down to the tank at a time, and we wore harnesses attached to a rope. The guys up top yanked on the rope every minute or so to make sure a guy hadn't passed out from the pneumonia. We'd work one hour on and two hours off. I made a good money hydroblasting, and when I turned pro, I had $5,000 in the bank. End quote. The story goes that Boo quit the job when he learned another guy in the plant was getting laid off. This guy had a wife and two young kids, so Boo took the layoff instead. Another thing every team needs. Selflessness. Weekly's journey to the 2008 Ryder Cup was a long and winding one. Turning pro at age 24 is already a late start in the game. He took five years, from 1997 to 2002, to even earn a spot on the PGA Tour. But that only lasted one year. Making the cut in just five of 24 events wasn't nearly enough to hold on to his card. He spent the next three years on the Nationwide Tour, which is now known as the Corn Ferry Tour. Boo's perseverance was tested in those down years. But in 2007, he finally had his breakthrough, a victory at the Verizon Heritage at Harbortown, beating Ernie Els by one shot. Of his three wins on tour, two of them came at Harbortown, as he won again in 2008, paving the way for an automatic place on the 2008 Ryder Cup team at Valhalla. As I mentioned earlier, the stretch from 2002 to 2006 was a rather embarrassing one for the U.S. Ryder Cup teams. They had lost in 04 and 06 by nine points each time. The combined score of those two Ryder Cups was a staggering 37-19. 
the largest back-to-back shellacking since continental Europe was added to the competition in 1979. Paul Azinger used a new method of pairing up his players, breaking the 12 members of his team into three groups of four. This was inspired by a Navy SEALs documentary that Azinger watched. The Navy SEALs take large groups and break them up into smaller ones in order to help those members build trust with each other. The pods were not random. Azinger used personality tests to create the groups. They practiced together and learned to trust each other so that they'd be ready for the cauldron of competition when Friday morning rolled around. Weekly's pod was called, lovingly, the Redneck Pod. It included Kentuckians J.B. Holmes and Kenny Perry, which is amazing to think that two men from Kentucky were able to play in a Ryder Cup hosted in Kentucky. Weekly was the third member, and the fourth member of the pod was a Pennsylvanian, Jim Furyk, who doesn't quite fit the bill in my mind, but who am I to disagree with a great name. Weekly's golf that week was exceptional. He earned two and a half points, pairing with J.B. Holmes for one and a half of those points. The full point that they earned together in the Saturday afternoon four-ball session broke Lee Westwood's 12-match unbeaten streak in the Ryder Cup, a staggering record. Weekly capped off his outstanding week when he went out on Sunday and shot an opening 29 on the way to a 4-2 victory over Oliver Wilson. However, while Weekly's golf was outstanding and uplifting and fearless, his attitude about team golf is what made the difference in 2008. In a golf TV interview, he reflected on the team aspect. He said, quote, You know, this is an individual sport. We play it every day by ourselves. It's all about us. Where in the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup, it's two of the unique tournaments that we get to play where it's more of a team. It's awesome to be able to stand out, stand there and pull for somebody that you want to win out there. But when you get over here, meaning anywhere else on tour, it's kind of like, all right, now I'm here to beat your butt. It's a weird feeling at first. And then once everything got settled in and I saw how it was going to go for me and the other guys, it's pretty cool. Weekly continued. We didn't have much expectation. We hadn't won in a while. Why not go out and have some fun with it? It's the first time I get here. I might not ever get back again. So why not enjoy it and go play golf? And that's what we did and took full advantage of it being in the States. Being in Kentucky and I'm a Southern boy and got the Southern crowd and it kind of played right into my hands. Over the last handful of years, as American fans try to diagnose the issues with the team and why they seem to underachieve so often, chemistry is often at the top of the list. It seems from the outside that the Americans are too focused on themselves and not the team. The Americans don't have the same spirit as the Europeans, who seem to love playing with and for one another even though they don't play under the flag of one individual country. During the lead-up to Steve Stricker's captain's picks this year, there was a clamoring for some new blood on the team. Phil Mickelson wasn't going to be the answer as a player anymore. I would argue he never was. The Americans needed players who were going to get along and play with pride under the stars and stripes. When those calls for chemistry arise, Americans often look across at the, quote, no-names, that they see on the European team. Players like Jamie Donaldson, who clinched the winning point in 2004, or Thorbjorn Olesen, or Thomas Peters, who won four points in 2016, or Stephen Gallagher. 
Americans seem to think because they've never heard of these players that they must be bad at golf and they just rise to the challenge of the Ryder Cup in some magical way. The theory also goes that somewhere in the American player pool, the same, quote, unknown players exist, and we just can't identify them. Boo Weekly was exactly one of those players for the Americans in 2008. He was a two-time winner on tour, sure, but he won at the same event. He had only really played high-level pro golf for three seasons, but he had been grinding for 11 as a pro, and we know what his life was like before that fighting primates at county fairs for five bucks, and blasting ammonia off of tanks as co-workers yanked on a rope to make sure he hadn't passed out. The pressure of a Ryder Cup was probably nothing to boo. Since 1979, when Billy Casper had eight rookies, the 2008 squad of six is the most. A smattering of teams have had four or five rookies, and the 1999 team only had one rookie, David Duvall. This 2021 edition has six rookies again. I'm not sure any of them will be doing the bull dance on Sunday after his opening tee shot. Although, if you made me nominate one possible bull rider, it would probably be Daniel Berger, with Harris English finishing last. Weekly's impact on that Ryder Cup cannot be understated. In his only Ryder Cup, he won two and a half of a possible three points. He simultaneously fed off the crowd and return their energy back to the raucous galleries. Weekly understood the importance of being part of a team and putting aside differences and individual goals for a weekend in September at Valhalla, all while doing the bull dance and feeling the flow. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you got to listen to it before the Ryder Cup, maybe during the weekend of the Ryder Cup in a, in a down moment or in a car ride or on a walk or on a run. I also did another one about Christy O'Connor Sr., which was a fun one to do. Um, kind of looks back at the at the past, past Ryder Cups from the 1950s and 60s. Um, so I would encourage you to listen to that one as well. And we'll be back on our kind of normal weekly pods next week where I will have a guest. I actually have no idea who that will be yet. And until then, enjoy the Ryder Cup, enjoy the weekend, and we will talk to you soon.